Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Hey friends, welcome to the first Someone Who Isn't Me of 2023. And in typical swim fashion, this one was actually recorded a little while ago. So uh, so there you go. This is episode 45, which is with Thomas Hark of Swedish metal phenomena, Meshuggah. Yeah, so the interview was done back in April last year around the release of the band's latest album, Immutable which is an album of dense intricacy and dark subject matter dealing with real dystopian ideas of surveillance, social media, and the sort of burgeoning arrival of AI. All things that I find super interesting and also really scary without wanting to sound like a kind of Amish guy that rides around in a buggy making ice cream and or meth and and shuns all kind of technology because that's not me. But you know what I'm saying. Over the course of 40 minutes, Thomas and I discussed the record and its making, the process of getting ready for tour, which actually happened shortly after this was conducted. I actually saw the band on that run at the Royal Albert Hall in London, um, which was stunning. Their shows are always incredible, but to see a band like that play in the Royal Albert Hall was something pretty special indeed, because obviously... The place is, is um, if you've ever been there or if you've never been there, it's a really beautiful, old, old building uh, and concert hall in London that uh, is generally more used to having kind of classical concerts and or uh, stuff like Cirque du Soleil and generally not being sort of filled with thousands of uh, battle vest wearing metalers who are there to just absolutely wig out and lose their mind to um, something like Meshuggah. Actually, on that that run, the support band was the wonderful Zeal and Arda. And if you missed the conversation that I had with Zeal and Arda frontman Manuel, uh, yeah, you can check that out, which was episode 24 of Someone Who Isn't Me, because it's a pretty good one, I think. Anyway, saw the band play that show, which was stunning light show as ever just like one of the most mind-blowing things and um, also saw him in kentucky at the danny wimmer festival called louder than life which was also a truly good time i personally always find the band very psychedelic and trance inducing which uh actually at that festival i think must have amused somebody because uh, i remember i got filmed vibing hard and it got sent to another mate uh, no apologies for feeling it man i love this band Anyway, aside from the album, we talk a little bit about the themes covered in the album's lyrics. Uh, We also talk a little bit about the fact that great music has to have this 
ethereal component that transcends simply playing the music and the songs and also a very little bit about the physical struggles that Thomas was having with his health regarding his hands and the challenges that that was having on his playing. He is obviously one of the greatest metal drummers on the planet. Yeah, so if you don't know the band, I suggest you check out the album Immutable that we're discussing and then work your way back through their catalogue to see the truly inspiring work that they've been making throughout their career, helping to redefine the very nature of heavy music, to be fair. This is Thomas Huck of Meshuggah. Enjoy. How's things, man? It's pretty good. Uh, we kind of we kind of got started now and rehearsing and stuff. And you know, it's been a it's been a while. You know, since we since we um, played live, it was August two thousand nineteen. So, so uh, yeah, you definitely feel it. I mean, of course, we made an album, so we had to you know rehearse for that. But yeah, it, it wasn't like hard rehearsals like we did for um, Violent Sleep or Reason, for example, because that was live takes in the studio so so with this one being different you know and we knew beforehand we were going to go in and edit and like choose takes and you know it wasn't like knife to the throat like like violent sleep was so yeah um yeah so physically also you know i'm I'm pretty sure you felt that too uh after like two years of covid and like sitting on on our asses in the couches because that's my favorite hobby yeah um that's you know the physical uh shape was not the best i've been in i'd say that yeah i think that goes for most people i would definitely include myself in that but that might be just me and you providing our own little support group for each other whilst everyone else yeah, it, everyone else it, it doesn't doing. matter why i like it I like the feeling it gives me. So what reason, whatever reason, it's fine. Yeah. Plus the thing is as well, I think that there's a real big difference between rehearsing for shows and going through things when you're recording because that, that's it's, that's almost a, a, a lot more piecemeal. Absolutely. Working out parts and, and going back over things. Yep. And, and there is that obviously in, a, in rehearsing for live, but they're very different things for sure. It's a very different thing for sure. Absolutely. When we when we rehearse for an album, you might play half a song and then you're talking about like this and that. And then like in between songs, you might take even a coffee break and then you go down and you play another track and you try and play it a couple of times and then you, you have a talk and a break again. And so it's very different, you know, obviously when we rehearse for a, for live, we pretty much, we set up the whole the live set with the gaps it's supposed to be, you know, once we're on stage and everything uh, to kind of, that's kind of a crucial aspect for many. It, it kind of gives you an idea also going from one track into the next. Sometimes, you know, since we play to a click track, sometimes a certain song, a certain tempo is not going to work after, after this or that tempo. Uh, so, so it's kind of crucial that we do that too. So once you start rehearsing for, for live, it's definitely way, way harder and physically more demanding. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I've got so much respect for the way that you, that, that you lay that out because it's the same as sorting the track listing for a record, isn't it? You've got to have those dynamics. You've got to have those moments that ebb and flow and, and give the whole thing life rather than it just being, here's this, here's this, here's this. Um, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. It's even, I mean, yeah, as important live on a live set as it is, like how you pace out an album, you know, absolutely. Yeah. And I think the pacing on this record's great. I think the thing is with your band, the, the impact it's had on heavy music is, is so beyond a lot of other bands. 
um, and make of that whatever you will. But I, 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 I hold that to be a truism. I feel like um, that at times your band has felt so unrelenting and that was one of the things at that moment in time that really drew me to it. But I feel like this record has not a maturity because that would suggest that there was an immaturity to the other things, but just an, maybe a new aspect of looking at it, which I don't know whether that's something that comes with age. I don't know whether that's something as a reaction to the last two years, which have been so crazy. Um, what, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, first of all, I appreciate that a lot. And it's definitely that that's pretty much how we feel about it, too. Uh, like you said, maybe not necessarily more mature, but there's a little more air in there. And the production, I think, as well, like helps give it a, a little something that we haven't had before. I think it's it's a little fatter sounding. It's a little less harsh. It's a little less, you know, obtrusive or or annoying <laughs> that i sometimes feel like some of our productions have been a little like ah yeah it's nice like you play it low but once you like really crank it it's like oh that's a lot but this one actually the, the more you crank it the more the better it sounds kind of i think and you know maturity or not it's you know we go through life and we change of course as people with with each experience and and uh we're now like in our in our early 50s and i'm 50 years old now our bass player is is younger he's like a decade younger but but uh yeah we're we're getting up there so of course what you go through in life your experiences and and, and also just the age and the longevity and the hours and and years that you put into the band of course uh, of course, you know, things do change and, you, and your approach to things, you know, your own music changes and, and stuff like that. But I mean, all in all, I would say we're we're still the same band and and um, with the new album Immutable kind of in a sense being being a, somewhat of a commentary on the on the band, you know, and, and us having been a, around for a long time and kind of been doing the same thing it's it's still not completely true i mean we do change a little bit and i think um even though this new album immutable is is um definitely true to what we've always been doing it still has something that 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 sometimes it's hard to put your finger on but but it has something a, a little more something orchestral vibe sometimes and a little more symphonic vibe so like with the layers of melody guitars and stuff like that so it, it's different you know it's a little different yeah i think that yeah i was going to say to you about that about the album title itself as this idea of this sort of unchanging um thing unaffected by by the surrounding um chaos but that is also um, ignoring the fact that your band has constantly uh, distilled, I think is a good way of putting it, maybe, um, what you do. And I think that it's it's honing in. And I feel like, um, yeah, this record is very much a continuation of that. Thank you. Yeah, no, I think so too. And, and um, I mean, even though, you know, Immutable, uh, in a sense, can be applied to, to us as a band, it's... Of course, more tied to I guess the the lyrical contents of the album and and the kind of the social commentary of that and you know man as such you know yeah. just look at what's happening right now in Ukraine and and like the, the the we never change as a species you know it's continue with this bullshit you know so it's 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 a lot more I guess a a, a reflection of the 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 lyrical contents yeah 
I guess that our complex being at the centre of our heads is always going to have its effect whether we like it or not, no matter how hard we try. Um, yep. Um, I, I was going to say that um, that the effects of the last two years have obviously had profound consequences at the world at large. And a lot of artists and musicians that I've spoken to have dealt with it in very different ways because some found that the pandemic was 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 this sort of void that kind of drew all the air out of the creative process and other people reacted totally differently and found it uh, the whole idea that this would be like a break from the cycle of it because I think regardless of of an artist making work for themselves you you fall into these cycles as soon as your band starts to become successful that is you know it's like write record tour and and it becomes a cycle and and I think that that these last two years have been having been a f- enforced break has been so as i said yeah some people have reacted to it well and other people um have obviously found it crushingly difficult but um how was that for you guys and and how did that actually affect the record in any way if it did yeah i mean first of all it, yeah it's both things actually it did give you kind of a pause and a, and a break from things and 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 kind of uh yeah albeit you know forced upon us uh, but but for us i would say i mean we got we were so lucky with all this we were very fortunate because uh, i mean we we did uh like three and a half years of touring for violent sleep a recent and we already had decided like the august shows we did in 19 were going to be the last and then and then you know start writing for a new album and uh so the timing, you know, we, we know a lot of bands that, that where this really like just crushed them because they just had like a new album and they had uh, tour cycles planned and stuff like that. And, and, and really the rug was swept from under them. And, and uh, for us, it, it didn't really have that huge of an impact. Uh, I mean, uh, we, we just continued as usual. I mean, most of us write separately. Morton writes up north at home, and, and Jens sits at home. And, and me and Dick, we work together a lot in, in this room where I'm at right now, and, and we co-wrote a lot of the stuff for the new album. And, and th- there was a period when, when the, you know, at the peak of the scare, so to, say, so to speak, um, where we didn't, like, meet for like four months but we could still continue working in the sense that we would shoot files back and forth and discuss over whatsapp or talk or talk on the phone and whatever and then he and dick would work from home and i would sit here and like program drums and whatever and so we we still were able to to uh work the whole way through that pretty much uh but of course it for those like four or five months that we didn't even like meet physically we it, it definitely took it down to like a fifth of the the tempo uh, of of creating and writing, so it, it had some effect, but but we weren't we were very fortunate in all this actually. Yeah, oh, well, that's good to hear. Um, let's talk um, a bit about specifics on certain tracks on the record that I'd like to get into a bit because um, I saw that you said that the, the open of Broken Cog was initially worked on first in like 2012 on Coloss, and then. Uh, kind of circle background when you were doing the violent sleeper reason. Um, do you think this is this is me being hippie for a moment, um, which is uh, often happening? <laughs> sorry, but do you, do you think that um, that things ha- find their place in time and and uh, kind of come to fruition when the time's right? 
which I guess kind of suggests some kind of agency in the creative process, which a lot of people would, would think is, is nonsense. But, um, yeah, um, personally, I think that is the case. I think, you know, it, even if things are, uh, are coming together, it just the, the time has to be right. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, uh, no, I agree absolutely, and I think for a broken cog, you know, uh, it's one of those. Uh, it's unusual for us to. Uh, this is like the one track that 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 has ever like continued to kind of uh, be in our minds, even though we we scrapped it for for Coloss and uh, and uh, then we kind of made a, like just a half-ass attempt at at it for Violent Sleep, but. But we had so much else to do anyway, so we were like, ah, just skip it, you know. We'll we'll see, and um, and uh, so third time's the charm for for this one, and and I, I think if you if I look back at Colossus, how that started with I am Colossus, and then how how uh, Violent Sleep started with Clockworks, they did a certain thing that was good for those albums, like how those albums started, and. I think to a certain degree it was not this one was not meant to be there because it wouldn't have been a starter and to me it's the only thing it can be really and it's like it's such now I see the as a, as a perfect start of an album because it's not so immediate and you don't go straight into like full on everything yeah, and you know just, and once vocals kick in it's even it's whispers you know so i i like that effect that it has that it kind of slowly builds into something and and also the kind of effect I guess and I'm hoping it has on the listener like when you've heard the first track you're like left at a, at a like what the hell am I supposed to like what's going to come next after this you know so so there's a few different reasons I, I think that that it worked out really well and I'm, I'm we're all stoked that we finally got to <laughs> got to use it because usually if there's a song that we've scrapped we never come back to that it's gone it's it that's done we we never really save songs for later or anything like that. It's it if it makes it onto the album, it's worth worth being on the album. And if it doesn't, it wasn't supposed to be, you know. So it's kind of a one off for us. That's crazy though, isn't it? Because I imagine the things that are in your waste paper basket, a lot of bands would kill for. Um. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, it's also very different depending on who you talk to in the band like, or, or who you look at in the band. Uh, Morton, for example, is is very prolific and he writes so much stuff like uh, and not all necessarily m meant for Meshuggah. He writes a, a lot of like stoner and, and he even has like this whole like side project in his mind that's more like arena rock slash prog like something that sounds completely completely different with like a lot of clean guitars and stuff like that and and uh so so he's very prolific and he he has probably hundreds of songs that is just like never been used for anything but yeah. uh uh, for for the rest of us, I think we tend to more write for the album, and if it doesn't make it, it's like you just kind of. I don't think we throw them away, but I I don't see us going back to them either, you know. Yeah. So w when with that like with that in mind, do you have like um, is there like a almost like a thematic structure when you're putting the record together? Because I feel like lyrically it covers a lot of ground, but it all fits together perfectly, and I feel like um, right, let's get into it. I feel that um, lyrically, the, uh, the abysmal eye, I mean, it seems to be talking about something made that starts to warp and take on this other kind of more um, sort of menacing aspect, I guess. Um, and I, I suppose 
that could be like a bunch of different things. It could be like society as a whole, but or it could be religion or something. But um, it, it feels like it's about scientific advancement, specifically with AI. Yes. And that's something, okay, because that's something I'm really interested in. And I feel like the way we're approaching that is, is, you know, this thing is literally banging on the door wanting to be born. But it's also like the way it's coming about is like we're raising a child already. And if you just feed that child the idea that people are nothing more than uh, data points and, and things to be exploited when it finally grows up and, and becomes its own entity, if that's, if that's the root of its, of its being, that's not going to work out particularly well for everyone. I'm obviously like Kurzweil's got this more sort of utopian view of it, but yeah, that's my thoughts anyway. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's definitely different takes on that. And, and AI is already used in so much in our phones and everything and listens to us and, you know, gives us uh, the the type of things and that, we, that we've been talking about. And uh, you talk about a couch and all of a sudden your phone starts like popping up ads with, with couches and stuff. And so, so AI to a certain degree is already used in that sense. And, of course. And, and there, there was a, there was a, a very interesting... Uh, and and quite kind of a daunting <laughs> uh, interview with uh, with Elon Musk on the subject of of AI and and his scares about it. and that was also like something that inspired me uh, for for writing uh, the lyrics for it and and if people have a minute to or forty five minutes I think uh, to check into that it's on it's available on YouTube just search search on Elon Musk AI and it, it's it's quite scary you know the the possible implications of what it could be like you said what it could turn into so mm. yeah 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 there's there's a lot of things that feel like um, that's almost like a pivotal thing from what I understand of the lyrics anyway but um yeah, is there, is there a larger theme across it all? Because I think that, like, yeah, the development of technologies that, that are essentially meant to bring us together and, and the idea that, you know, the internet was going to be this beautiful thing where everybody communicates and has access to everything so there's no want. Actually, what it is is, is just been a tool for atomization and, and creating these little echo chambers. And that seems to be something that's that's touched on a few times in on the record. Yeah, absolutely. You have the uh, the song uh, the lyrics are written by Morton and uh, Light the Shortening Fuse which is, you know, straight up about like social media and what it's become and what kind of tool it's become, a tool for idiocy in a lot of ways and and like you said like echo chamber and where uh people that should have never been listened to and no one would have listened to them uh 25 years ago some of them have a huge megaphone and people actually listen to them and take their uh, whatever bullshit they're spewing out for some kind of you know verified truth mm. and and it's i think it's a huge problem and that's one aspect of it it's being used as a political tool um and and uh to a certain degree also like this whole for younger generations, I don't know how they like how you deal with that now. If you're 15 years old and and growing up, growing up in in this kind of time and age, and and uh, 
with where this is such a thing and and body dysmorphia is like that the number one growing sickness of people is like oh we're supposed to look like this and this and this and mm. there's filter to make you look like this and this and this and and you can't be yourself you're you're not supposed to be yourself you're supposed to be like some enhanced version of yourself you know and and then later in life that i guess that goes into the doctor's pockets because you go and try to fix everything that you think is wrong with you you know so it's i i think it's a it's a it's a very dangerous kind of trend that we see and and of course social media has a huge you know responsibility for why things are the way they are i think yeah armies of the preposterous obviously i guess plays into that as well with the idea of of people being tricked into these kind of abhorrent ideas and then sold lies i guess that's hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Over similar. Thing. Yeah, I mean for I I, I the lyricals or lyrics i mean it's it's one of those things that uh when you when i do get asked the question of course i i tell people what what i am thinking about or mm. what i'm what i'm you know what's the the theme of the lyric and and what kind of things it touches on but at the same time you kind of want people to make whatever they make out of it too and i and i think they will and and that goes for the music as well you know what kind of like vibes it gives you it might not be the same as it does for us you know or maybe for us in the band it's not every song doesn't even mean the same you know but uh, uh for me like armors of the preposterous for example that's that's more about like the the right wing kind of extreme right alt right like movements that we've seen especially in the in the last like 10 15 years rise you know the the, the re-rise of that in in not only in europe but in the world and uh, mm. kind of uh, those kind of values and and uh, weird takes on on things that, that are quite scary and especially the ones that are even like full-on vocal about like you know the 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 extermination of Jews during the Second World War. It didn't happen. It's all made up, and and the the eradication of this race or the, these peoples or these tribes that that never happened. It's all bullshit. And trying to kind of actively rewrite history, as it were, and 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 that's um, that's kind of scary, or it's a lot scary. Yeah, Let's it's terrifying. Yeah, it's sad. Are. It's terrifying, and it's very sad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I agree. Going back to the music a bit then in that case, there's so many textures across this record and across your entire career, but but one thing that obviously 
I guess a lot of people associate you with is this kind of um, repetitive sort of syncopation and these sort of polyrhythmic parts that evolve over the course of something and they become their own thing and they, they twist and the, these different slight iterations until you end up somewhere totally different. Um, yeah, yeah. Which which I think is, is very beautiful. And every time I've seen you play, I find that very hypnotic and uh, quite without getting too much into it but i feel it's quite spiritual i think all art is anyway and i think that um the stuff that moves you is it touches you in in a certain way and it and it and it kind of awakens that thing that's inside a lot of people anyway do you find that is is that a consideration like the this sort of almost um trance-like quality of things yeah for sure i mean that that's that's one of the you know one of the reasons we we write the music that we do is is we want to provoke something in the listener and in ourselves. I mean, first of all, when we're writing and we when we're uh, kind of uh, in creative mode and and about to you know come out with a new album, we definitely want the songs to do that to us first. Like give us like visuals or give us a, a certain vibe that's almost like palpable. And 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 once you have that, it's crucial to not lose that in the track and. We don't, we're not always successful, not at all. But but the songs that really kind of where it works, uh, it, it it is a a strong point and something that we that we feel that we have gotten better at, and it's something that also, you know, it it might not be the easiest thing because it's such a it's such a uh, it's such a weird thing to kind of pinpoint what is that exactly. Hmm. And and to a certain degree, uh, I would say that we we did not have it on the first album and not on the second and maybe a little bit on the third. And then you kind of slowly get the idea of that more and more and it becomes more and more important. And in that sense, also, we, you know, with with the age and the years that we put in, you do tend to write more for the song. And and, and of course, we, we have nothing to prove at this point. And, and that's also maybe to a certain degree a, a freeing aspect of of uh, of being in this band that you feel a little more like you don't you don't have to be this or that advanced or it doesn't have to be nuts all the time it, it can it can provoke other feelings and sometimes yes the the music might be uh kind of convoluted and 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 not the not super straightforward uh but it's not our intention to write difficult sounding music. Mm. It's just we we just try to write something that that gives us that vibe or that visual or that uh, gives us a certain like this is oh I love this I don't know why but I love it uh, and and that having been in this band for so long and and having written this type of music for so long that this is just kind of how it comes out. And and it's not about like us trying to be weird or trying. Oh, let's no, we got to go even more nuts, man. It's got to be so people don't understand. Yeah. It's it's never about it's never about that. It's, of course, it's, it's it's definitely more you know more organic than that, um, which might sound weird to some people, uh, but but that's that's how we feel about it at least, you know. Yeah, I agree, and I think that's one of the reasons that it, 
that I'm attracted to your band the way I am. And I think that quite often I'll speak to certain artists that I feel like there is that aspect to their work and, and they can be really varied and it can be, you know, talking to Maynard about Tool or it can be talking to Aaron from Wolves in the Throne Room or or about Neurosis. It, you know, there are these bands that have something at the core of them that is um, uh, like a this kind of essence to it. And, and I think a lot of people, this is something I find interesting is that because your band is, has been so influential and I'm not going to say the word, but uh, I feel like there's, there's an aspect of heavy music that has, that looks at your band as almost like the blueprint for where we were going to take things. And, and they probably uh, quite a few of those artists don't see that what you're saying, they'll just think it is, we need to be, making a, a, as as convoluted and as complicated sort of polyrhythmic bits and and make things as as obtuse as possible and and then they miss the entire point of it because it's it's about the the purity of the art at the center of it and it, how you how you get to that is how you get to that and it, and it's different for everybody yeah no i totally agree and I, and uh that's a question we get a lot too uh, it's about like what kind of band, what kind of new bands to listen to, and what what kind of bands that are that are current kind of in in your genre or your, you know the gent genre or or bands that are kind of up and coming. First of all, I really have no check on anything that's that's new. I I, I stick to like Pink Floyd and stuff that I kind of grew up with and, and Russian Marillion and stuff, and that's kind of what I listen to still. So I, I'm I'm first of all not the right guy to ask about that. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I think uh, you're you're definitely right. I think uh, sometimes you do hear bands, obviously, and before tours we get pitched a lot of bands that we you know when we need to figure out who's going to be the opener, what band are we going to bring out for as a main support and stuff like that, and 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 uh, a lot of times we do get pitched stuff that is that is like that, you know, where it's like yeah, okay, this, they're fabulous musicians, like they can do eights around us, but a lot of times I feel like that, but they, it's missing like that, that core thing that the meaning uh, or, or the essence or something is, is not there. And then it just becomes difficult music and difficult music uh, is sometimes very hard to get into. And, and another aspect of what we do too. Yes, we, we do write uh, a, a specific style of music that's very convoluted and we we play a lot of riffs that kind of just repeat over the bar line and stuff and and um but but at the same time you know we're we're trying to maintain a flow so mm. most songs once you once you have the beat you know once you feel it like oh there it is like uh, 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 then then that's going to go through the whole track so, um, I mean, not to say that, that it's anything wrong with doing, uh, you know, nine sixteenth notes and, and seven eighths and all, all the like odd time signatures, but, but it's very hard to head back to, for example, so if you're like, <laughs> so, I mean, that's cool. And we, we for sure grew up with, with music like that too, with bands like Rush and, and, and stuff and King Crimson and stuff, but, but it's not necessarily as easily enjoyable, you know, it's, it doesn't make it, doesn't, you know, necessarily make it swing all the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There has to be a, that organic element to it. That is the, 
is the people making it, I, I think. Um, yeah, that, at least at least that's how, I, how we feel about it. I mean, obviously, you know, there's a lot of successful bands that that do music that way too, and and nothing wrong with that. But in, in our personal taste, this is like kind of a a very important aspect of of what it is we do is to is to have a flow in the music, you know. Yeah, I agree, and I think that goes back to what we were saying initially about organizing a set list or organizing a, a track list for an album, and um. I think I'm still, because we're of a similar age, I'm still uh, of the opinion that, that an album is best enjoyed as an album, as a whole work, because that was how it was created. That was the intention of it. And um, and things are very different now. And, and, and that explains why you'll place tracks the way you do, because it creates all these different tones and textures. And, you know, you have m moments that can be almost like palate cleansers. And, um, and I feel like... Uh, a lot of times the way music is consumed these days, uh, which again goes back to, to what we were saying about, I guess, um, the advancement of technology, I, I guess that's that's lost somewhat. Yeah, and, and I think, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think I just had a brain fart uh, and forgot <laughs> what I was going to say, but, but um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's I, I, that's that's. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there you have it. Okay. It's a it's a it's a it's a yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, <laughs> and then finally, um, you're obviously, as you said, you're you're gearing up for shows in the near future, and um, and I know that you personally have have struggled because of of your hands, as I understand it, um, and everything because of uh because of eczema right that's been making it such a discomfort to play um yeah yeah oh there's two parts to this actually because i know that you initially program stuff when you write so um i was curious as to how um if that took any different shape over the course of this because of because of your um because of your hands and then also as we were saying about about the um gearing up for shows how how are you now uh it it's been it's been better but it's kind of up and down it, it comes and goes well it, it never it, i've had it for about two years two and a half years now and it just kind of started out of the blue and of course it has to be in the inside of the hands too so it, it's definitely way better than now than it was like say uh a year ago or so where I, my hands and fingers would be constantly cracked and it would be very painful to play it. It, it had no effect on, uh, as far as the creative process. And, you know, like you said, when, when we write, I, we program drums and we make everything kind of like a demo instead of going into a studio and make demos like we used to, you know, back in the day, we, we don't really have to do that anymore. The sounds are, the guitar sounds of bass tone, everything is pretty much the same as a, as what we kind of want for an album. So we recorded mm. in the computer world and we will program drums and kind of uh, make the songs and complete the songs that way. And, and uh, uh, once that's done and we, we kind of go into rehearsal mode to record, I, I just pretty much emulate whatever we have programmed. And, and that's not necessarily just me. Everyone in the bands are great uh, drum programmers and they have a very good sense of what you can and what you can't do and how to play how to program drums to make them sound like it's the real deal and stuff like that so that's never really an issue and and i i really only uh program drums uh 
for the stuff that me and Dick works on. If Morton writes a song, he usually programs the drums for that. And I, I usually try to, if there's anything, I go in and just touch up like little fills and stuff like that and ghost notes and stuff. Because we, we put a lot of effort into even the, the demo stage of things. So we know beforehand pretty much how it's going to come out once it's on a on on an album mm. um so we do put a lot of effort and, and time into that and but but it's fun you know it's a it's a different side of of being a musician to be kind of a lot in the in the computer env environment when you're writing but it it it, it gives us this um uh, a certain amount of freedom to to create whatever it is that we have in our heads we i mean in a sense, you could say the band is actually a, a product of the tools that, that we have had at hand. And and we wouldn't be this band at all if it wasn't for the software and the kind of where technology has, you know, come in the last like 30 years. And even when I joined the band in 1990, they already were programming. They would uh, uh, play like a Roland R5 drum machines and kind of record that and use Porta Studios and then like ping pong channels back and forth and, and kind of add guitars and bass that way. And so that was kind of, even before computers, that was already the kind of the go-to way for, for this band. And, and the music that we kind of always wanted to hear from ourselves was always a little too convoluted to be something that you just easily jam up by being at the rehearsal and just kind of, oh, let's no, try this. You know, you kind of have to have those tools. And, of course, then by 95, 96, and everyone has a computer and there's software, you know, stuff that you can, you know, program. And, and, and then the by the late 90s where uh, Frederick uh, of the band and, and Matthias Eklund of Toontrack and uh, Daniel Bergstrand, they put together the, the first, like, drum kit from hell – after that, we had even our own kind of drum sound that we wanted. Uh, instead of using like the Roland R5s, was obviously you know not the drum sounds that we wanted for yeah. for this band. But so so the tools have really like kind of helped shape us in a way too. And and for sure, we would not sound like this at all if this had to be all done you know by us in a rehearsal space. Obviously not. No. Yeah, but how? But you're you're well now though for for the touring oh yeah about that yeah i mean it's i have to tape my fingers a lot you know when we rehearse and and um uh, so i have to tape my thumbs my index fingers and my and my pinkies on both hands and use quite a lot of tape mm -hmm. and then i have to have gloves on both hands and like i put um like uh, grip tape on the sticks and stuff like that too to, for that to work out and and i mean it works uh but of course it's you know some days are i don't feel it at all when if i have like if the tape holds up and all that but but then again we have not done this live and just like what you said when we were talking about like before an album you can rehearse a track and then you have a cup of coffee and then you play the track again and you know talk about it and you can you know take your gloves off and put on more tape or retape and it, so we've never done it live and and uh one and a half hour of, of this type of music is is something else than than just you know playing a few tracks in the rehearsal space for sure so so we'll see how it works out and Right now, I mean, I've been talking to nutritionists and stuff, too, because the, the regular doctors and dermatologists, they really had no clue. Uh, I've, I've been to every specialist pretty much in Stockholm, and, and they, they're just kind of 
shrugged. You know, they have no clue what this is. And it's not a contact eczema. That's been excluded, kind of. Uh, so it's more like something that comes from, from internally. And so I've been talking to nutritionists and stuff, and it seems to be helping. You know, it's definitely better now yeah. uh, than it has been. And um, it, it seems do, it seems doable, you know, uh, to play live and all that. So, you know, fingers crossed it, it doesn't get worse again. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm I'm very excited about seeing you guys play again because, as I said, uh, um, every time I've seen you, it's been really special. So awesome, man! Thanks. Um, yeah, and thanks. So thank you for your time as well. Oh, thank you, Daniel. It was my pleasure. Great. Well, um, I'm sure I'll see you when you're over here. Perfect, man. Great. Yes. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thanks for listening to episode 45 of Someone Who Isn't Me with myself, Daniel P. Carter. Hello, and my guest Thomas from Meshuggah. Meshuggah's latest album, Immutable, is out now, uh, and I'm sure the band will be playing a bunch of festival stages later this year. If you get the chance to see them, you definitely should. It is stunning, even if that band isn't necessarily for you. I think that if you see them live and you get it, and it clicks in, and you suddenly find yourself in that weird trance space that is quite often happening when they play, yeah, it might change your opinion on the band. As I said at the start, I've had this episode on the back burner for a minute, and that's for various reasons, like one of which was the portrait of Thomas, because I always like to use photo references rather than that have been sent to me, or that I take myself generally, but obviously this was done over Zoom, so I couldn't do that. I've also got another couple in the bag as well. Uh, one with Serge Tankian of System of a Down and Solo Artist, obviously, and Nikki Six from Motley Crue. But I'm not sure they'll ever get put online, to be fair, because it's not that they're not great. They're both really solid interviews. Uh, I just think that the time might have passed. I should definitely be more on top of these, in a way, I think. I'm currently making a list of people that I'd like to have on the podcast in 2023 i am going to make the effort to do more of this whether or not it will happen who knows i don't know but if you have any requests for people that you'd like to hear on someone who isn't me let me know in the comments or via messages on the socials which are at swim podcast or via my own pages which are at daniel p carter Uh, i'd be interested to hear who you'd like to hear me have a conversation with because if you're a regular listener of the pod and there's somebody you think that I should have on it because um, for whatever reason, yeah, it'd be interesting to find out. Thank you for listening. Please leave a good review. It always helps. Nice comments. They're all on um, YouTube now as well. I decided to finally cave in and put all the episodes on YouTube just because I saw that other people were ripping the audio and putting them online. And I figured if we're going to have that, we might as well do it from me directly because then at least the audio will be decent quality thank you for listening i am out peace hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com